to the New York Rangers podcast in partnership with Inside the Rink. I'm your host, Jacob Berkowitz, and I'm alongside my co-host, Raghi. Today, we'll be celebrating our 25th annual New York Rangers podcast. We're going to be with Johnny Lazarus of Believe in Podcast to discuss games one and two, a bit of a preview of three and four, and players recap, and much more. But first, a quick word from our show sponsor, and then we'll get right to it. And now a quick word from our show sponsor and friends of Inside the Rink, BetUS. BetUS has your NHL, NBA, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lines for the 27th year of live betting. Sign up for BETUS.com with promo code RINK for a 125% sign-up bonus. Again, use promo code RINK for your 125% sign-up bonus. Play with the proven mainstay in the industry, BetUS. You bet, you win, you get paid. BetUS.com. And we're back with our first episode of the New York Rangers playoff special. We're with Johnny Lazarus to break down games one, two, and, you know, figure out what's going on with games three and four. Johnny, how's it going? What's up, guys? Thanks for having me. And first episode, I'm honored. First episode of the playoffs, I guess, or the not, not the whole season, right? No, 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 no. This is... Uh, <laughs> I was going to say. This, yeah, no, no. We're up to... This is actually our 25th episode. Congratulations. Uh, Milestone. Yeah, I actually just realized that. Oh, wow, 25. That's <laughs> <laughs> that's just a monumental thing i guess mm-hmm. uh, i think 50 is the big number if i'm wrong i think like 50 and 100 are the big numbers so anyways we're off we're recording friday you know after a amazing win you know feeling good after a game two win uh so i guess we'll just break down game one first you know what went wrong um and then we'll go on to game two so johnny what, what do you let's break down game one what, what do you see you know the achilles heel of the rangers in game one I don't know necessarily what went wrong originally. Um, you know, the first 25 minutes of that game, I thought they were dominant. I thought every, literally everyone on the roster looked good. I actually think Andrew Kopp, funny enough, was like kind of the one player that stood out in a negative way in the first period. But he hadn't played in like four or five games due to injury, and I thought he just like had a little you know rust on him. He just made a couple of turnovers and didn't look like his normal self. But um, you know, I thought he kind of picked it up as the game went on. But in the second period, something just something just quickly changed where the Crosby line just took over. Um, I thought they were kind of invisible in the first period. I think the Rangers outshot the Penguins like, you know, 10 to one in the first 10 minutes. And then all of a sudden Pittsburgh kind of turned it on toward the end after that Ryan Lindgren hit and they got the power play. Uh, I think the chances in the first period were like four to three. So, you know, it did look like a Rangers dominant period, but when you look at the stats, it was pretty even. And, uh, you know, I kind of think Pittsburgh's experience just kind of took over and, you know, they know you're never out of it in the playoffs, especially against a young team like the Rangers. And after Igor made that insane save on Crystal Tang on that two-on-one where he did like a scorpion, they score like three seconds later, and you can just feel the momentum go from like so high to so low in the matter of five seconds. And I think that just kind of like, you know, messed with them a bit. Like they felt like they were in full control, and then all of a sudden the tides turned. And, um, you know, obviously Jake Gensel is a huge threat. He's a 40-goal scorer. He's done it in the playoffs before. Scores two goals in that period, and then – we had a penalty trouble. Um, and I think we've seen it now. You know, I don't want to get ahead, but through two games, I think the Rangers have scored two power play goals on like three chances. So, you know, I think the power plays, obviously they were uneven. That's a huge theme right now with the refereeing and everything. And it's been a little inconsistent both ways. But uh, as far as game one goes, I think maybe they just exerted a little too much energy in the first period, like, which is understandable. It's their first playoff game in five years. A lot of guys' first playoff games in their career. And it's normal to be nervous and, and use up a lot of energy. But, you know, Pittsburgh kind of has that experience. I think they just took over as the, as the game went on there. Right. As you mentioned, that once that goal happened, like the whole the Rangers fell apart. I think because when people are saying, like, you know, we still have veterans, 
you got to remember, even these veterans have what, like one run in their pocket? I mean, Sabanajad had one run. Panarin had one run with Columbus. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't count the playing round, really. Mm-hmm. I I mean, the only two, really, that had proper experience was Chris Kreider. And, well, maybe three, Truba, Chris Kreider, and Barkley Goudreau, I mm-hmm. think are kind of the three that, you know, you could say they have actual playoff experience. I would say Reeves, but too, but he's not as – Oh, right, Reeves, yeah. You know. Right. Um, I think they learned a very, you know, they learned a lesson in the worst way possible that just because you have the momentum doesn't mean the other team's out in playoffs. That's not how it works. That could work in the regular season, but in playoffs, man, that's not how it works. And they learned it the hard way. And in game two, in the third period, when Pittsburgh had the momentum, the Rangers seemed to have learned that lesson and came out strong in the second part of the third. Uh, It seems that this team is learning on the fly how the playoffs work. And I think they're answering, you know, they're answering properly. Uh, well, what do you think about, like, you know, game one as a whole? Not just because I know the second period was probably, like, the worst period the Rangers played the whole entire season. But what, what do you think about just, I, I don't know, how I guess the kid line actually did the best and just the top two lines with the veterans just were slow. I actually just tweeted that, like, five minutes ago because I saw Vince Bercagliano. I don't know if is that what you're referencing. I actually didn't even look at it. No. Oh, yeah, because uh, Vince Vince tweeted that Gerard Gallant pulled aside Lafreniere today, just like him, you know, some uh, words of affirmation and and some uh, you know just positive energy because he's been playing so well. I think Lafreniere. I don't really know the stat, but I think Lafreniere just from the eye test has led the team in hits besides Reeves. I think Lafreniere's. I, I actually like. I didn't look at the stat. I'm just like saying from watching the game. I games, wouldn't be shocked. Yeah. Yeah, like Ryan Reeves has killed everybody. He's laid out Malkin last night in game two, but Lafreniere to me. He's been so noticeable physically. Like, I didn't notice him much physically in the regular season. And, um, you know, right from his first shift of game one, he's been hitting everything that moves. He has, he has nine hits so far. Nine hits, which is pretty good for him in two games. I feel like he's not a big hitter usually in the regular season. I mean, Reeves had no. eight hits alone last night. Nine hits alone last night? Eight hits. Eight oh, hits wow. alone last night. Yeah. yeah. It's a number one overall draft pick having nine hits through two games is not, not that bad. And no. right, Reeves has Reeves does lead in in that. And he had six in the first game, eight in the second game. So. Mm. But that that's in general, you can't really compare the Farnado Reeves because Reeves' no. job is to hit. So yeah, yeah, but yeah, that line has been so impressive. They generated so much offense in game one, and obviously that goal that was called off by Heedle, um, game two. Like I like I said, they they might not be all over the stat sheet, but they're noticeable every time they're out there. And Capo Caco's played a super heavy game. He looks really strong out there. Um, which has really been impressive because I was actually kind of hard on him. What's up? That no look, that no look pass to Lafreniere in the spot, or was that Heedle? What on the goal that was called off? No, um, I don't remember when it was in game one. Is because he he did a spin around a no look pass to the front of the net. I don't remember it was off or Heedle. I think it was the first period, right? Heedle shot it like a little wide. Yeah, I'm like, holy cow! Like, I mean, it's impressive, but when you're in the playoffs and you're trying to be cute, yeah, I don't no, know. I mean, like. That was terrific. I mean, your young guns were actually leading the team. I right. mean, the one thing you thought you would have a problem with in the playoffs is your your kid line. And the matter of fact is, not only were they not the problem, is that they were the you know the best line yeah, you know in the spark. game. Mm-hmm. It was well, knowing Galan, knowing Galan, and these rookies are like, well, if Galan, you know, they get excited by someone like Galan because Galan's a player's guy. So he's going to come over. He's going to excite the young guys. The older guys, you know, feel like, oh, we, we, you know, we got this. And the, and the younger guys are like, oh, let's go. You know, they're hyped up. So I, I could see why in a playoff game, especially in a longer game that a kid line can really do well because they're, they're excited. They want to, they want to show what they got. 
they, you know, this is game one of their life in the playoffs. They, they're excited. You know, I expected this from them in general. It's a question of how long, they, you know, they continue to do this. You don't want to have a game where they put the kid line out there. They're looking like kids. Yeah. You know what they say? It's Sometimes weird. ignorance is bliss. Yeah. yeah. There you go. There you go. You don't know what yeah. you don't know. Um, interesting enough, uh, in, that first, in that first game, Crosby had his way. And I was really curious. This is really also like a, game, a question you can really ask also for the second game in general. But what is your position on how to defend Crosby? Do you let Crosby have what he wants moving around and defend men around him to try to like make him feel alone? Or do you feel like you need to hit Crosby? You need to get him a little bit off his game, get in his head. What's your position on that? I think he's been in the league for about 15, 16 years, and nobody's figured it out yet. So I, I would just try to contain him as much as possible. You're not going to shut him down. I think everyone in the NHL knows that you're not going to shut him down. Like, that's the best thing about Crosby is he's not the fastest or strongest or has the best shot, but he's the smartest guy out there every time he's out there. Similar to, like, Adam Fox. Like, they just think the game way ahead of everybody else. And you see Crosby get triple teamed last night. And somehow the puck finds him again on a rebound after he like literally had three guys around him. I don't know if you just if you just pause that video and posted a picture of the three guys around Crosby and you said there's a goal three seconds later. Right. I think everyone would say no, no chance. But um, you know that's just that's just how he is. And and Crosby sometimes when he has the puck, he's not even the most dangerous guy. It's the other two guys on his line that are more dangerous because he just thinks the game and sees everybody out there so well. Like that first goal, the, the first two goals of game one, Crosby finds Gensel wide open back door. The second goal, Crosby cuts across the middle and throws backhand sauce to Gensel on a breakaway. Like Crosby's not, he, he's not really the focus of attention, I think, when he's out there. It's everybody else around him because that's what he does so well. He makes everybody else around him. Like if Sidney Crosby's walking down the slot, with a clean shot, chances are he's probably not going to beat Igor Shosturkin on a clean shot. I don't think right. I actually heard Balakat say that that yeah, he hasn't exactly. scored a clean he hasn't shot. Doesn't have yeah, any goals on that. But he's not a shooter. Like he actually has a stronger slap shot than his than his like normal wrist shot, if anything. So you know, I, I think Gensel is a way bigger threat than Crosby, and Gensel already has like three goals, I think, in the series. Right. I was actually, yeah. Sorry. No, I just want to say I, I we had on Josh Yo a couple of uh, weeks ago, and I mentioned to him like. I was more concerned about Malkin than Crosby. Malkin's a beast. I'm way more right. concerned about Malkin. Right. He's just he just seems to always be a Rangers killer, mm-hmm. and he has probably like him and Gensel probably have the only shots that could beat Chester in clean one on one. So that's why I was kind of concerned about that. But I mean, Gensel that Crosby line. I think Balakem mentioned it. I'm not sure who. The only way to defend Crosby is don't stick check him. You go straight after him. Physicality, mm-hmm. all that. Um, I think Miller's taken a huge step in that. I mean, you see him on Malkin one on one, just you know, knocking him down. I mean, I, I think Malkin was shocked. No one's ever done that to him in his life. Mm-hmm. It was it's it's amazing because we also had Fitz on that said like, listen, Miller's going to be a 16 game player here. Uh, we had to agree on that because Miller's that type of guy to come and clutch. Who's your most surprising player um, in the first two games for the Rangers? In the first two games as a whole, um... yeah. That's tough. I mean, I thought everyone looked pretty good last night. So I'm trying, I, I kind of just want to block out game one, honestly. Yeah. Um, 100%. As far as surprises go, like nobody, I mean, maybe, maybe cop, honestly. I mean, he's, he scored in both games. Um, you know, coming back from injury, uh, he hasn't really played so many top six minutes. I feel like in his career or played with a guy like Panarin. Um, so I, I think honestly, you know, I knew he was a good player, but I, I kind of thought he'd be more of like a third, fourth line, just like shut down kind of guy. 
and his offensive production has been pretty impressive. I think that's been kind of a surprise. Uh, just one thing. I know this is irrelevant. I just found this hilarious. I don't know if you just saw. The arena staff won't let the Oilers give Oilers the nets or turn on the lights. Wait, what? I, I'm looking up right now. Like the LA is supposed to have – or the Oilers are supposed to have a practice in LA. Mm-hmm. And they're not giving them the nets or turning on the lights. And you just see a video. The hell? Yeah. Of, of all of them <laughs> skating on the LA rink. And no one's giving – if you look up Ryan uh, Rashog or Jordan, no. uh, Darren Drager retweeted it. No way. I, what in the world? That is the weirdest thing in the world. They're just not giving that. You have like people there. I'm trying to find this. Yeah, Darren Drager retweeted this. Like this happened like seven minutes ago. Trying to look at it. What in the world? So while while you're looking at it, I, I that was, I, I was I'm sorry. I know that was irrelevant. Like I'm like, what in the world was that? Yeah, that's um, wild. I'm I'm seeing this now. Yeah, I mean, what's going on there? I don't know. That's weird. That is. It's like a scare. That's gonna, that's, gonna come, that's gonna come back to bite them in the butt, though. <laughs> that's like an eighties tactic. Yeah, that's like an eighties tactic. Something the Islanders would do. Right, exactly. As you mentioned with Cop, um, I mean, listen, Drury was a wizard at the trade deadline. Vetrano's goal last night. Cop having, you know, I, I don't see them re-signing Vetrano, but with Cop, uh, we actually reported that uh, we were told that he was their number one priority coming into the offseason to re-sign. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I spoke, we spoke to Winnipeg Jets, uh, people, they said before he was roughly asking for 4.5 and it seems to be that he's upped his price a bit. Would you sign him for 5 million now and let Strom walk? I don't know. Um, I think it's a really tough question. I think there is a chance. I mean, I, I'm not like a numbers contracts guy. That's my co-host Cody Frankel. Like I give him all that credit. Like he's the one who pays attention to all that stuff. Um, but if there is a way to sign both of them, which I think there has been some kind of discussion about it, I don't know the numbers behind it. I would like to keep at least like cop and maybe Petrano. Um, if we're only getting one out of the four guys that we, or five, I guess that we gained, cause we got here, we got cop, Petrano, Braun, Mott. And is that just the four of them? Yeah. Four guys. Yeah. Exactly. Right, one yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I mean, I think Frankie Petrano honestly will take like a bridge deal and stay for a year. He, I could see him signing like a one-year, one million, two million kind of contract because I'm pretty sure he loves it here. He's an East Coast guy. He's from uh, Springfield, Massachusetts, or Longmeadow, Massachusetts, um, and he's been successful and he's gotten great opportunities here. So, I, I, I think they could keep Cop and Petrano, um, which in that case, sure, Strom can walk. But I'm a, I'm also a big Ryan Strom fan. I do like him and I think he's been great. I, I think he's one of the guys that could be an X factor for this team in the playoffs. I think he's he's actually looked pretty good. In the first two games, he had a beautiful assist in game one. He had a nice deflection in game two. Um, you know, he's a guy that needs to step up if this team's going to make a run. Right. And and not only that, I think I think that Strom knows that he wants possibly a deal with this team. Mm-hmm. I almost feel like when he's playing in these playoffs, he's really trying to show the Rangers, look, I'm your guy. Mm-hmm. And he's played some really, really great hockey in these first two games. I'm not even talking about, you know, the numbers. I mean, he does have a goal and assist so far. Which in two games, two goals, two goals and assists. Sorry, oh, no, no, one goal, two assists. Oh, no, no, no. Last night, and assist in the. Oh first no, game. you're right, you're right. My bad. So, one yeah, goal, one goal assist. assist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. so he um he had a goal and assist, and <laughs> he's already been involved. You know what I mean? He mm. knows that he he knows that he's going to have to make a decision. That the Rangers are going to have to make a decision, and it's between him and Cop. And he knows that they're not taking both of them. So when he knows that, he said he has to show that he's better than Cop, and Cop has played well. But I I, I just wanted to mention that. 
Also, Cop, as, as good as he's been, I think it's Panarin, especially last night. First game, he didn't play so well. Mm-hmm. But last night, he found Cop. He found every, you know, he that was a fantastic find, that first fake. Mm-hmm. That was fantastic. And he really has to step up. Question to you is, is do you feel like Panarin has to take charge in these next coming games? Do you feel like Panarin is the guy that if he's doing well, that this team has is really boosted to the next level? Or do you feel like in general that in this team you need more than you need really like Zabana Jack Kreider, everyone really stepping up? Or do you feel like people can really rally around Panarin? I'm going to actually touch on your first point because I actually talked about this on, on my last episode with Panarin and Cop, or not Panarin and Cop, the Cop and Strom. Um, so a lot of people think it's like a competition between the two of them, which it might be, but I don't think they look at it that way. Like I, I said on our last episode that the two of them, if they want what's best for them, they need this team to make a deep run in the playoffs. So it's not like if Strom scores, Cop's pissed, and if Cop scores, Strom's pissed. You know, I think it's better for both of them. The further this team goes, the more attractive they become to other teams. So like with team success comes individual success for both of them. So I think that's like what their kind of motive is. Like, if, hey, if we win a Stanley Cup, we're both signing big deals, you know? So, um, you know, just to that point, I, I think a lot of players like see it that way, that with team success comes the individual success. And then to your point about Panarin, I mean, listen, Panarin's goal last night, he wasn't try- like a lot of people think he banked it on purpose, which he didn't. Yeah. I think he had Truba coming down the slot off the bench and he was trying to throw a backhand sauce and he got lucky that it hit Matheson and went in. But Panarin's, you can't question anything he does. He's one of the best players in the world. He had 96 points this year playing with Dryden Hunt for like 50 games. I mean, the guy is incredible and he's a playmaker first. He's not a shooter. And I know Ranger fans hate that and they want to see him shoot the puck more, but it's just not his game. He likes setting guys up. He makes the extra pass. And if that's what's going to make him successful, then that's what's going to make him successful. So I, I don't think the offense needs to rally around Panarin for this team to be successful. You actually might disagree with this, but I think honestly, everything has to revolve around Foxy. I think the play starts with Fox and ends with Fox. He leaves the breakout every time he's out there and he keeps the puck in the zone and keeps the play alive. So I think Foxy's a huge reason as to why the Rangers are successful offensively. And last night you saw it too. He controls the play at the blue line and below the goal line. He, he literally sets up so many guys. He had the shot on Strom's tip. I know it was a power play goal, but Foxy generates so much offense. And I think all the forwards are comfortable with that, knowing that he's back there. By the way, uh, just one report. Ryan Glenn is a game time decision for game three. Mm-hmm. Goudreau is out for the rest of the series and Mock could return. Probably not for this game, but like he's starting to skate. Mm-hmm. What do we think about the implications with that, with Goudreau leaving? Like he, This is what he was paid to do. And I'm not blaming him because he's injured, but I'm just mm-hmm. saying the implications for that is like, um, how do the Rangers, you know, handicap that situation? I, I've, I'm not the coach. I, I, you know, right. I can't, I can't really answer that. Um, you know, as much as I wish I could, I could give some like BS answer to that. I don't know. I think it's kind of just a game to game, read and react, plug somebody in, take somebody out. Um, next, man you know, up. next man up. Exactly. Like I'm already worried about another defenseman getting hurt. And then Zach Jones probably comes in. So, um, you know, and, and, and he's, he's probably the next man up defensively. No. Uh, technically. Um, uh, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not forget Hayek here, guys. I mean, whoa. I'm taking Jonesy over Hayek. Taking, oh, of yeah. course, but I'm saying, oh, I'd take Jones. I, I, I'd leave Hayek in a cab right now. But <laughs> I'm gonna, what, what I'm saying is, is that um, Hayek has some serious dirt on Drury and Gallant. That's our theory because I, I don't know else how he could, you know, <laughs> be uh, in the lineup or be in the not in Hartford. I, I, I think that, um, I, I mean, listen, I don't know what's with Hayek is. He's he's not good, but just somehow he finds a way uh, to get into the games. So I don't want to say Zach Jones yet, 
because I don't want to get my hopes up for something that, you know, just, you know, went down as Rangers fans. We all know that's like Rangers fans 101. So regarding, let's go back to game one for a second here. So we finish that off. The three overtimes, man, how, how stressful was it for you? Because for me, I mean, my hands were shaking. I was there. <laughs> oh, you were? Yeah, I was there. I was sitting in the in the bridge and it was, it was brutal. Um, you know, I, I just like, I mean, I love overtime. Listen, I, I tweeted after the second overtime. I was like, no matter what happens, it's great to have this feeling again. You know, it's been so long since you've had that stress and agony. And, uh, you know, I then later on quote tweeted that and said, never mind, this sucks. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, listen, it's been, it's been five long years. Uh, a lot's happened in all of our lives. I'm sure everything's changed. And you kind of forget how great the world is in the spring when the Rangers are playing in the playoffs. Like everyone's just so much happier. New York City's amazing. Like I'm going to a bar Saturday night to watch the game and I can't wait to just like be in the city for a Ranger hockey game. You know, it's, it's going to be uh, a lot of fun. What's up? When's the game Saturday night? Seven o'clock at night, I believe. I'll double check. It's either seven or seven thirty. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I think it's seven o'clock. But what lessons do you think the Rangers learned from Game One that they applied to Game Two? Um, specific lessons. I mean, Nemeth didn't learn anything. Apparently. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even though that penalty was horrendous, I can't believe they call. I cannot believe they called that. Even the one on Marino. No, that was, was terrible. The same thing on Marino was terrible. Like. That, that doesn't get called five years ago in the playoffs. I don't know what's happened this year with the cross checks, but they're, they're not letting that go apparently. But I, I think honestly, like, I don't know if they learned much. I, I think in the third period, they came out flat. Pittsburgh had like the first nine shots of the third period. They just got a lucky bounce in that Panarin goal. And that kind of gave them some room. I, like if Panarin doesn't score that goal, I'm really afraid of what happens in that game. Um, right. You know, Pittsburgh was dominating. So I don't, I don't really know if they really took anything away, but um, cause like really, you know, they're up three to one, then Pittsburgh scores that three, two goal and Pittsburgh takes the momentum back. So like, I, I think it's just kind of like not getting too comfortable, maybe, you know, with the, right. two goal the only thing I like, the only thing I like, sorry, no, I just want to no, say no, the only thing I like is that after you know, I, I get that that Panarin bounce, you know, if that didn't happen, you'd be worried. Mm-hmm. But what I thought after the Panarin goal is that Pittsburgh's just going to take momentum for oh, the rest yeah. of 10 minutes and it's going to just be to survive. Mm-hmm. But the Rangers brought it to them. Mm-hmm. which is the one thing that they didn't do in game one, which I'm like, okay, the Rangers clearly learned their lesson. This is a huge step. Now, if they learned this as a permanent thing, now they learned, you know, because in the playoffs, the whole thing is, is just because you score one goal, the, I mean, they could score right back at you, especially Pittsburgh with Crosby and Malkin. I, I mean, I believe that's like, I don't know, for personally, for me, that's like the one lesson I think they learned is just that don't, you know, don't stay back, you know, like don't play on your heels, keep on pushing no matter what. Mm-hmm. Even if you're up like two goals, um, I I just like I, I keep I, I keep on going back to Miller, man. That guy, oh, I yeah. know there were rumors of Chikrin coming here mm-hmm. uh, a couple of months ago, and maybe Miller would be in it or Lindgren. I mean, now you just you can't trade Miller after that. You can't trade Miller now. He's he's a future of this blue line now. He actually had one incredible move last night. Uh, it was in the third period. He like came down on a two on two and cut across the middle and shot it right into Domingue's chest. But I was like, damn, like he looks good and confident. And this is like his second playoff game ever. So that was super encouraging. And there were a lot of people. It's not, it's not just a couple of people. There was a lot of people back in like late December, early January. that are like trade Miller, trade Miller. And then he had that one week where he just like kind of went off. I think he scored like that wraparound goal against uh, Detroit, maybe. And he scored the game winner against Seattle and Buffalo. He had a goal. Like he just kind of took off like in, in that one month stretch. 
But before that, he didn't have like the greatest start to the season. He really just kind of picked up as the season went along. And, uh, you know, then again, like his first year in the NHL was a COVID year. So this was like, you know, his first normal season. And I think he just got more confident as the year went on. And yeah, his, his, what's that video? His ceiling is the roof or whatever. Have you guys seen that video? The roof is the ceiling, something like that. Yeah. So I I just think his potential is, uh, you know, unlimited. Well, I also think, I also think that the Penguins are like the perfect opponent for a guy like him to play against. They're a team that they are, that he is faster than most of those players. He can fly. His size is ridiculous. The amount that he, you know, the amount that he's moving, we discuss it all the time that his form is ridiculous, that he could move that fast and also have that strength and build size. But for this type of situation, it's perfect. He has the, he's bigger than half the guys. He's faster than half the guys. And he could really make an effect on the team. On the other hand, you can't be playing him the entire game. So like when he's not in the well, right now, right. What's up? I like to say that he's like a more offensive and more skilled Mark Stahl, just like a better Mark Stahl. I like that. Uh, right. He's like a faster Mark Stahl with, yeah. you know, an actual offensive IQ. Yeah. Interesting enough. I, I found that in a lot of these, and at least these first two games, the amount of pressure they have put on these, the amount of like high percentage goals that they had, at least in the first game uh, was not, was not high. And in the second game, you know, they looked better in that area. They did get better pucks to the net. And a lot of that, you give credit to Vetrano for the fact that he's not scared to just shoot that puck. Oh, he's the best. He's absolutely I love Vetrano. Do you, do you feel that the Rangers really in the next couple games, that the, one of the keys possibly to winning those games is out shooting them? Or do you feel like they just, you can't, you can't just have the Rangers work on that. Like they, they, they you're saying like quantity over quality. Right. Do you feel like do you feel like you want more quantity just for the fact that you right now have the Smith out and you're facing the backup backup goalie, mm-hmm. or do you feel like no let's let's get the quality? See, I I do think the quality is better than the quantity simply because with a guy like Louis Deming in net, the more pucks you shoot at him, the more confident he's going to get. If you're not taking good shots, you're just throwing pucks on net. You just allow him to feel the puck more. That's when he gets more confident. But if you take just like more quality shots over quantity that's when you get a better scoring chance. So like, that's why like, I don't get mad at Panarin when he doesn't shoot the puck. Like I know Panarin knows way more than me and I trust what he's doing out there. So like, I'd rather Panarin, you know, hold it for the extra pass and give, you know, Truba a backdoor shot or whatever, than him just throw the puck at the net, just to throw it on net. And a lot of Ranger fans are probably the opposite because everyone in the garden sitting in the blue seats, just scream, shoot the puck. Even when Igor has it, they scream to shoot. So, I mean, you, you can't win with Ranger fans because, they even yell at Adam Fox, who's the best passer in the NHL, probably shoot the puck. Like, you know, some people just, I don't know. Some people are just a little ignorant in that sense. And, and goal in every shot. That's what's the, up. Ranger fans want to go in every shot. Someone behind me in third overtime the other night screamed, just shoot the puck. I don't even care if you score. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you know, I think there um, is though still a concept with Panarin. like Fox. I hear you like Panarin. He did have a problem at the beginning of the season of shooting the puck. Mm-hmm. And then you saw him versus Columbus, the game after a little, literally changes. See, like, I get a player that passes a lot because he doesn't have a good shot. But Panarin, man, has yeah, he does. an insane shot. And oh, he's like, oh, no, no, you're good. You're good. I, just, I just wanted to backtrack really quick. I wanted to retract my statement and say, in any overtime period, that's when you throw the pucks to the net because that's when the goalies are on their nerves. Any Anytime you're in overtime, that's when you throw everything you can at the goal. But other than that, continue. All right. Yeah, no. So Sorry. I was just saying, no, no, you're good. Um, I was just saying that Panarin changes. I love how like Panarin changes his game a little in the National Hockey League and just 
gets a ridiculous amount of points, like versus Columbus this season. Uh, he changed his game a little bit where he just shot more. Guy had like two goals and an assist, just casually. And then game one, Panarin didn't have the best game, and then changes his game a little bit, just casually has a goal and two assists. Like the guy, the guy is a complete stud. I mean, is there anything that he can't do? It's it's crazy. So I don't know if you seen fight. That's true. McAvoy pumped him a couple years ago. Actually, that would look pretty no. awesome. Panarin fighting would probably look pretty cool. I don't know. He got he got his butt kicked. A couple I don't years know. Ago. He's, He's not a fighter. Big, no. Yeah. I actually, I'm I'm way happier that he does not fight. <laughs> He's good at throwing his glove. Yeah, he is. That's a good one. He's, He's good, good throwing. throwing uh huh. He's got a good arm. Oh yeah. So he had a chance on... to take the punch, but he wouldn't punch because he wants to pass it. Never mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No. So go, going going on to uh, games three and four now. What have the Rangers still got to learn? Um, I was personally saying that for game two, they're only going to win if they don't play the perimeter game. They got to get in the deep, you know, in the dirty areas. And mm-hmm. literally, exactly that. Majority of the goals were the cock goal. The um, Vetrano goal. What, what, I think every goal was the in the middle of the in the right by the slot. No, I think every yeah. Cops, goal. cops in the slot. Kreider's deflection in the slot. Strom's deflection in the slot. Vetrano's was the only one where he came down the boards and like shot it. Right. So yeah, that's what I was saying. Like the Rangers, if they played the perimeter game, which they were playing in the game one, are never gonna win that way. They'll score one lucky bounce goal and that's it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I don't know. I've been saying all preaching all along that they gotta play the dirty, you know, get to the front of the net, crash the net, everything. This guy Louis Dominion, he is not gonna save those any day of the week. So what would you say in games three and four that they gotta improve on and lessons they gotta learn? Well, I think the first thing's first, they gotta make sure that the first period of game three doesn't get out of hand. I think you every every time you play the first game on the road, like you know, the Penguins and game one, the Rangers in game three here, you got to weather the storm for the home team because honestly, if the Rangers score two goals, three goals in the first period, they put the Penguins out of game one. I mean, they had all the momentum, but they just couldn't finish. If they go up three, nothing in the first period, I don't think Pittsburgh's coming back from down three after that. They, they, but they felt like they still had a chance going into the first intermission because they played terrible and it was still only one, nothing. So the Rangers, they got to weather the storm in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's not the easiest place to play on the road. And if they can keep it to, you know, maybe one goal or even take a lead going into the second period, that's when you get your confidence. But everyone knows, like, going into these first road games, especially the young guys, Gerard Gallant's going to preach it probably, that you got to just weather the storm. Stay out of the box. Contain them. Don't let them take a lead because that's when you lose all momentum going into the second period. And that's when the game can really get out of hand and get away from you. So I think that's the main lesson to go into game three. But I I think the biggest key is just really – Limiting the Crosby line. I mean, that's been the only line that's been dangerous aside from Malkin's like overtime goal. Um, so just somehow if they can figure out a way to, you know, keep Truba and Miller out there against the Crosby line. Um, Cause I know, I know Miller and Truba were out there for the first goal in game one and Fox and Lindgren were out there for the second goal in game one. And the third goal was a five on three. I don't know who was out there for the overtime goal. And then I don't know who was out there last night in game two. Nemeth and uh, Schneider. For yeah, game two? Uh, uh, no, no, for the overtime winner. Over oh, the overtime winner? Um, I could be. So, yeah, I, I think, th- like, the key to them is just shutting down that line. Like, it, it's it's been shown right now that they're the only line that's killing us. I mean, who else has really been relevant for the Penguins yet? Nobody, in my mind. No, Crosby, uh, Malkin, and Gensel, that's it. Yeah, and Brian Russ, too. Brian Russ has looked pretty good. Um, but, yeah, I think that's the key. Just, like, weathering that first period, and then you just go from there. Is there anyone that you've, like, besides for the obvious, you know, Nemeth of the world, is there anyone on this team that you find that really needs to step up, that their play really needs to step up in order to help this team win? I mean, you can make the argument for, like, 
Reeves, but not like offensively speaking, just like physicality, like to really intimidate Pittsburgh. Um, but I think he's done a great job. And I think he's got to continue doing that. And there was a lot of Ranger fans who didn't even want him in the lineup for game one or game two. They thought Dryden Hunt would, you know, provide a better offensive uh, balance. But like Reeves is a guy that you just need there, not only for protection, but just for momentum. Like the fans love him. He crushed Malkin in game two. Like you got to have Reeves kind of set the tone. And uh, I think he's done that. He didn't look great in the overtime periods, but then again, like he's not used to playing so much hockey, I think. So you can't really, you know, credit him there, I guess, or, uh, you know, put blame on him. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think pretty much in the first two games, like everyone's performed and in, in the first game, they were just kind of flat in the second half of the game, but right. in game, in game two, everyone was skating. Everyone was fine. Like no one looked bad. So I, I don't think anyone like necessarily needs to step up. Maybe like a guy, honestly, a guy who I thought played pretty well too, that hasn't played much is Justin Braun. Um, I thought he stepped in and played really good with Foxy. So he's a guy also that comes in with over a hundred games of playoff experience and can step in and just like be a leader. I had a, I had a, had an interesting question in general because we, we were discussing the kid line before and Gerard Gallant seems to really trust this line and they, they had the first shift um, against the Crosby line and the second shift was against uh, the Malkin line uh, and it was in the third. Can, can we continue just depending on this line to to win the series, to be able to defend and be able to win games? Until they don't, I don't see why not. Okay. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think it's as simple as that, right? Until they, until they don't. Um, Just trust yeah. them. Keep yeah. Going. I mean, listen, our best player was the reason for the first goal of game two. Panarin skates the puck over the red line and turns it over right to Crosby. Didn't get the puck in deep. Crosby comes down, gets that shot on goal, and Gensel puts in the rebound. So, like, you know, sometimes you just got to your, – your best players sometimes make mistakes too. And right now, if it's the kids that aren't that nervous for whatever reason that they're not, let them play against the big dogs. So regarding games three and games four, uh, I, I think that, you know, like you said, the first period of the game, you got to weather the storm. You got to calm it down. You can't let Pittsburgh, because if Pittsburgh scores in that first period, it's going to be very hard to change mm-hmm. the momentum. Um, with Louis Domingue, though, I know you mentioned, I mean, I, I know this is kind of irrelevant because, you know, I'm a beerly cocky goalie. I'm not like an <laughs> Oh, you're a goalie? Yeah, I, I, found, I found the same thing, that if you just flutter shots on net, like I I, keep on, I always tell my team, just because the goalies, like we played a versus a, a backup goalie a couple of games ago. And I'm like, no, 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 don't don't just throw random shots on net because just, he's just going to gain confidence more and more and more, and it's not going to work. So I think the Rangers have to work on quality more than quantity um, because, yeah, again, when you throw a lot of shots on net, it doesn't matter if it's the fourth string goalie. That goal is going to get a lot, a lot of confidence. But I think it's kind of like, I don't know. I, I know Crosby and Malkin could do so much, but I think it's kind of like if the Ming plays the rest of the season, the rest of the series, you kind of have to win the series, no? I mean, you got to win the series of Jarvis and that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's you know, I, I mean, I think the Rangers just, they, they took such a big leap this year. And sure, like, would everyone be disappointed if they lost the series with Jari and goal? Probably, yeah. But I mean, dude, every- everyone counted the Penguins out going into the series. Like analysts, people, that reporters, everyone that covers the game, pretty much besides Penguins fans were like, I like the Rangers in six, I like the Rangers in seven, Rangers in five. Like everyone was on the Rangers. So there's so much pressure on them when there really shouldn't be because they're going against guys who have won the Stanley Cup three times in the last decade. But that's the standard that's been set this year when you have the best goalie in the world, you got a Norris Trophy winning defenseman, and you got a 50-goal scorer. Like that's just the position that we put ourselves in. So yeah, I think you have to win this series against a third string goalie. No, I mean, I think anyone in their right mind would tell you that or else the season's a total failure. A season that was great 
becomes a total failure if they lose the series. So also like with games three and games four, I mean, you, you got to think they got to take, I mean, I, I know like I texted this out, like just because if they lose game three, right, everyone's going to be out of their minds, panicking all that. Um, I, I wasn't panicking after game one because, you know, listen, like I texted, tweeted this out before, like when Tampa was winning three to one, I'm like, this is why you never panic. Tampa was losing, lost four, nothing, five, nothing. And I don't know any Tampa Bay fans panicking. They're back-to-back no, champions. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But like, even, even like Dallas or something, like you never panic after game one because everything changes. But I, I don't know. I think game three is a kind of a different scenario just because if you lose that one, you're, you're in danger of going down three to one. You're playing an away game. It's, it's a bit dangerous. Would you say that or you think it's kind of similar to games one and two scenario? Honestly, I was saying it before last night's game. Depending on how the game played out, if they were to lose game two, but in like a hard-fought close game, I still wouldn't be discouraged. And it's simply because Igor Shosturkin. Like, I honestly just believe in this kid so much. Like, they they can go down three to one, and I'm not going to lose confidence until they lose. Like, I I really just think he's a game changer, and he can take over at any moment. And we saw him win three straight against the Penguins in in the regular season. There's no reason why he couldn't do that if the Rangers go down three one in the playoffs. Like. I really just trust this kid so much. And I, I know the Rangers like probably don't have much to lose if they go down three to one. So they're, you know, willing to take more risks. And, and there's usually like, as much as there is more pressure on the team who's down three to one in the series, in some sense, there's also less pressure. Cause like, what do you have to lose? Like you're already down in the series, you're already counted out. So why not take more risks and, 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 you know, and be more offensive. Like what this team is, they are an offensive first team that with a great goalie. So uh, if they do lose both games in Pittsburgh, I'm confident because guess what? They're coming right back to MSG where they can pick the momentum right back up. And we saw it happen in 2014 when the Rangers went down three to one in Pittsburgh. They win game five. They come back, win game six at home, and they go into game seven with all the momentum. And guess what? Now we're the home team. So they go in, they can come home to MSG, win game five, go back to Pittsburgh with all the momentum. And Pittsburgh being the more nervous team, being on home ice, take a game six on the road, and then come back to game seven with all the, all the momentum on their side. So I'm not going to count this team out until – until they're like literally on the brink of elimination with like 30 seconds left. I mean, unless they're down like four or five goals, obviously, but um, you know, everything in history shows that if you have a good goalie, you can go so far. I mean, look at Vasilevsky. He was unreal in the last two playoffs. Um, you know, I think what, what is he now? Like 15 and 0 uh, in games following a loss, something like that. Um, so, that makes sense. So right now, Igor is one and zero in games following a loss in the playoffs. So he's on the same path. Um, but then again, like I, I was, you know, that game one loss was super, super dejecting because that, that goal being called off, um, you kind of feel oh, like they're yeah. going to escape with that. And then, you know, you get that goal called off and then you sit through three overtimes and such an anticlimactic goal like that can really, you know, suck the life out of a team. But, hey, man, this is a team that set a record for most come from behind the wins this year. They've shown resilience all year. I have no reason but to think they'll show resilience again in the playoffs if they go down. I mean, yeah, you know you know the saying, like, I, I don't know if this realized now, but uh, when my brother – like in 1994 and then also uh, in the, you know, 2010s era where it's like the Rangers only know how to win in a game seven. Mm-hmm. I just, I just found that hilarious just because, you know, it's kind of true. Like the Rangers always want to make you, you know, worry a little bit. There's no such thing as a blowout game. There's no such thing as a, like if they're playing an elite team, they'll become elite versus that team and play hard. But if they're playing versus a down team, they'll play, they'll play on that level. Um so I, I don't know. I just feel like in games three and games four, games three, it's not a must win, but like I feel like it's more serious than losing game like 
it's more serious than losing like the game two going down 0-2. It's just because it, it just takes one more win, lucky win for the Penguins to knock this out. Um, so yeah, while I'm not saying Kansas City is a must win, it, it's very very close to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I would make the case, yeah, that that you know obviously you want to take a two to one lead in the series. I mean, I think honestly, if anything, this year has been like the opposite of what history has taught us. I feel like every year in the 2010s, the Rangers won game one and lost game two. Um, you know, I can't remember the last time the Rangers lost a game one and won a game two. I, I don't, I literally don't remember that uh, happening in my lifetime. So, um, you know, this yeah, year Montreal, obviously, huh? Montreal, they won game one and then I think lost game two. No. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They've always won game ones and lost game twos. This year oh, was yeah, the opposite. Yeah, yeah. yeah, this year was the opposite. Um, in what game do they hurt David Price? Oh, David Price, Carey Price. What's up? In what game do we hurt Carey Price? I think that was game one. That was game one, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Actually, I think yeah. the one the one year that we lost game one and won game two was the last series, which was against Pittsburgh in like 2016. That was when Crosby, uh, I think Lundqvist was hurt in warmups and didn't play game one. I think Ranta started for us in game one. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't remember a lot of times where we lost game one and won game two. Mm-hmm. I remember, yeah, versus Tampa, we won game one and they got destroyed in game yep. two. Mm-hmm. Devils, we won game one, lost game two. Ottawa, um, Ottawa won game one, lost game two. Oh, Washington. Which one? 2015. No? Um, I know we were down three to one. I don't remember who won game one or game two. I think – oh, because game one was the game where we lost with one second left, if you remember that, in 2015, and I think we won game two. Oh, like that Joel weird... Ward goal, right? With like, I do yeah. remember that. I do and remember then a that. weird goal – like I think it was Hazer Stefan that just threw from the blue line, bounced off like three legs and went in. Mm, I do remember that. Tied the series up. Yeah, what is with us, man? Always going versus a hot goalies, just always. There's no such thing as like there's no such thing as an easy goalie for us. Just I, I texted before the thing, like DeSmith is obviously now hurt. I'm like, but we all realize that DeSmith is gonna become Hashik two point right? <laughs> that's 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 a known thing. Yeah. Uh so one more thing regarding uh game three and games four. I, I think that the top two lines, the Zibanejad line, has got to get going a little bit more. I, I know game two, they took a massive step. But Zibanejad, um, I mean, Kreider and Vitrano seem good. But I think like Zibanejad, you know, the best, when he's on his best, he's just skating. Just It doesn't matter if he doesn't have the puck. He's just skating, skating, skating. And I feel like that's the last domino to fall for the Rangers as uh, players that, you know, got to get going. Or do you think there's any other player that has to – get going you're saying mika yeah or is there anyone else that you think uh i mean Kreider has looked pretty good i think in the first two games um i don't think mika's looked bad he just hasn't really produced right that's what i mean yeah yeah like his one like he's had a couple one-timer opportunities that like you know usually they go in for him they haven't yet um but yeah i mean like i thought the first period everyone looked good cop was the only one who looked iffy but then he picked it up in the second um, game two, I thought everyone like everyone played good. No one really stood out to me um, in like a negative way in game two. All right. So I think we're going to end it off here. Um, first, be, well, last question. Uh, how many games is this series going to? I had the Rangers in six from the start, and I'm sticking to that. Yeah. Six. All right. So, Johnny Lazarus, uh, thank you so much. Before we go, uh, you want to uh, plug in your handle, what you do, and all that. Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I actually, we just, 
renamed our podcast. We rebranded it. It was Believe in Rangers, but we uh, are now partnered with Blue York. So we're now the Blue Yorker podcast, um, which is pretty cool. Really excited about that. Uh, so you can go follow that on Twitter and on Instagram, the Blue Yorker. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, I'm not going to plug myself, just, just plug the new podcast. Um, but, uh, I really appreciate you guys having me on and it's always fun talking to Ranger fans. So appreciate you guys. Especially winning Rangers. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you for coming on and hopefully games three and games four, you know, they come out soon. Thanks guys. Appreciate it.